Hey everyone, welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. It's the end of 2018, and I'm happy to be bringing you part two of four of our Games of the Year discussion. In this episode, I talk to four writers about four of the best games this year. In section one, I talk to Brandon Boyd about Celeste. In section two, I speak with Sam Brooke about Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered Edition. In section three, I talk with Brandon Brodsky about Dragon Quest XI. And in section four, I talk to Alex Mateo about Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. You can find timestamps for each section, as well as more information about the games we discuss in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on darkstation.com. There you can also find the Darkcast Interviews podcast, as well as video game reviews, previews, and features, including our writer's top five list for this year, which will be going up throughout the rest of December. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Welcome back to the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is Brandon Boyd. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing just fine. How about you? I'm doing great. I've actually been like not related to anything uh, Game of the Year, but uh, while I've been editing the Game of the Year podcast, I've been playing some Mercenaries Playground of Destruction, uh, which ages a lot better than I thought it would. Uh, it's actually pretty surprising. Yeah, there was that. Uh, there hasn't really been a whole lot uh, like it in the uh, interim period. Didn't it just come t- uh, to backwards compatibility on the Xbox? Uh, yeah, I think it's been uh, on the backwards compa- compatibility for this year, uh, but it just uh, came on with Games with Gold, which uh. I've got the physical disc. But you know what? Why not play it digitally where I don't have to put a disc in the the console? That's uh, digital stuff has spoiled me. I've always been a like physical game guy. Uh, but more and more, I'm like, I don't want to like have to get up, grab a disc, like walk five feet, put it <laughs> uh, in the console. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, everyone uh, <laughs> was uh, kind of rightfully upset about the way the Xbox One was pitched initially, I think. But we've just kind of like naturally put ourselves in that position anyway. So yeah, yeah, we have. But uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about some of our favorite games released in 2018. What are we talking about today, Brandon? Uh, well, I wanted to take the uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, Celeste. Which so I I know people love Celeste. I've seen uh, trailers for it and whatnot. But give me just like the the elevator pitch. What is the game for anybody that doesn't know? Yeah, sure. So it is a 2D platformer. Uh, it's one of the uh, really hard as nail ones. Think uh, sort of in the vein of Super Meat Boy. So it's got uh, some retro throwbacks. It's got really nice pixel art, some nice uh, bit inspired music, uh, and it's also kind of couched in this uh, story about anxiety and mental health. Um, so, 
Super Meat Boy is a pretty high bar for me when it comes to like tough as nails platformers. I I'm very selective in like what type of game that is quote unquote tough as nails that I'll actually play. Super Meat Boy is one of the few. Uh, what is the difficulty of Celeste like? For sure. Well, there, there's a lot of different ways we could approach this topic. Uh, on a superficial level, it is very similar uh, to something like Super Meat Boy, but because it has this narrative that's more of a driving force, um, it's not really the same thing as each level just being something you have to complete in one go, like Super Meat Boy. Um, the campaign is a series of levels that are in of themselves a series of screens. So if you die on a screen, uh, you immediately pop right back into existence on that screen, and each screen is sort of like a challenge room. Okay. But it's not individual levels per se. It's one le- It's almost like Mega Man, where you, you have a screen that you're on, and then you move to the next one. Would that yeah. be a fair comparison? Yeah, very fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what makes Celeste uh, one of your games of the year? Well, on a purely mechanical level, if we're just talking about the mechanics of actively playing the game, I think it is by far the most satisfying game I played this year. It's uh, the way its controls are tuned are just perfect. The level of challenge is intense, but uh, always fair. And then you have this story about anxiety that's told really well that really couples itself with just how difficult the game is and can be to overcome in certain ways. But at the same time, it has all these like handicaps and stuff in the options, which I wouldn't recommend using, but if you got to the point where you did just want to see how the game ends, you can actually go into the settings and you can adjust uh, certain options. Like you can make it so spikes don't instantly kill you and things like that. And the game does allow you uh, to make it easier if you just don't have the dexterity for these kind of games. I, I'd completely forgotten about that. I remember hearing people uh, talk about the, the various options, uh, but I'd, I'd not remembered that for whatever reason. And honestly, uh, Celeste had kind of scared me off because, you know, the main thing that people kind of talked about it was it being a very satisfying platform that is very tough. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not feeling that. But hearing you talk about it right now, I'm like, I kind of want to go play Celeste. <laughs> oh, you, you definitely should. And it is just dripping with content. So the main campaign is pretty lengthy in and of itself. You could pro- it's probably, uh, be, you know, between eight and ten hours long. But uh, each level also has tons of hidden things, like there's uh, these strawberries that you collect, and they tend to be uh, tucked away behind uh, much more difficult platform challenges. And since it is like Meat Boy in the sense that you just pop right back in, in, into existence after each death, uh, trying to figure out how to get those is really satisfying. And then there's a lot of post-game content that you can unlock with some like really brutally difficult uh, levels. So after the narrative is over, if you just enjoyed the gameplay that much, and I imagine most people would, it's very tight. Uh, there's an avenue for you to continue playing it there. Obviously, we don't want to go into too many spoilers with the story. Uh, it deals with uh, anxiety, but like, how does how does a girl climbing a mountain relate to anxiety? I guess. Oh. It's the idea of uh, something uh, inside of you preventing you from uh, overcoming obstacles, I think. So the idea is that this mountain is this obstacle um, that this girl has set up, and it's representative of just kind of her over-demons, and it's about climbing those uh, and learning to uh, cooperate with uh, 
yourself, your your more base self, the the parts of you that have had failures, the parts of you uh, that don't represent that best self. Any other thoughts about the game uh, before we kind of move on to your your other pick for favorite game released before 2018? Uh, honestly, not a whole lot that uh, everyone else isn't already saying. Aesthetically, it is uh, amazing. It's got great pixel art. Uh, the soundtrack is easily one of the best of the year. The soundtrack's on Spotify, too, and it's worth listening to on its own. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, great game, coupled with uh, how great the gameplay is and how affecting the narrative is. I think it's very easily one of the best games this year. Awesome. Very cool. Well, like I mentioned, one of the things that we do with our, our top five lists is uh, kind of shine spotlight on our favorite game that we played this year but was released before 2018. So what what did you give that award to? So I went ahead and gave it to Hollow Knight, which I, like many other people, uh, played for the first time this year because we're just now seeing console releases. But technically, it did come out on PC last year, and I just wouldn't have felt right if I didn't mention this game in some way or another because I played it for like 60 hours, and it is just <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> That is awesome. That it's also kind of hilarious. I don't think we have ever had a duplicate favorite game released or played in 2018 released before 2018, but we've done it now. We're breaking records. We're making making news. Two people have voted for for Hollow Knight on this. That is awesome. Um, it uh, is absolutely deserving. Um, I wrote in my. Uh, my article that'll go up here in the next couple of weeks or so that uh, I think it's the best Metroidvania style game since Super Metroid, essentially. Um, it's just breathtakingly good. Now, have you actually beaten the game or? Uh, yeah. So I, I, okay. I did finish the game. I did intend to go back and get like the true ending. There's a lot of different variables that affect things, but I got uh, kind of pulled away by other games this year. I think eventually I'll go back and just start the whole thing over because it is that good and it's getting all kinds of free downloadable content too. Yeah, I was I played the game on PC and I I really adore it, uh, but I was never able to beat the game. I got uh, to what felt like a brick wall with the um, there's a it's the boss where you get the uh, slam ability because to you know break through glass and stuff. Uh, I yeah. don't remember what it's called. Uh, but I just tried and tried and tried and was not able to to defeat that boss. And yeah, and he fakes you out when you think you have beat him. It's it's kind of actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a game. I love the soundtrack. I love the art style of it. I love that it it just kind of drips information to you in a lot of ways. It's very um, you know Souls or Bloodborne esque, and that. Um, it's not just dumping narrative on you. You're getting narrative through the, the items of the world and, and things like that. Um, and it's it's a game where I played it for a fair amount and was really enjoying it, but just got to a point where I wasn't having a good time playing the game. But I still really appreciate like what it is and love it from afar now. <laughs> I think it's going to be that way for a lot of people because uh, it, it is very long, especially for this genre, and it is quite difficult, and it's going to be difficult in different ways for everybody. Like Personally, I didn't have a whole lot of trouble with most of the combat, uh, say for one or two boss fights, 
Um, but sometimes figuring out where to go and uh, what you need to do to progress is quite challenging for me. So excellent that that is a that is a game that is well worthy of uh, people's adoration and should definitely be played. Um, but just know that you, you might not play it for very long. <laughs> it may scare you away like it did me. Oh, yeah. Well, awesome. Any any final thoughts about Hollow Knight or um, Celeste before we go on to the next section? No, I just uh, think they are representative of a certain sect of games that uh, came out this year, uh, and that would be uh, th- this very virgins indie scene uh indie games are just getting bigger and better and in a lot of ways it's becoming harder and harder to differentiate between uh what is a a published triple a game or whatever you want to call it and what these indie games are on a mechanical level and it's really exciting stuff well brandon thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me about celeste and hollow knight and i look forward to talking to you more in 2019 absolutely thanks for having me Hey everybody, welcome back to the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is Sam Brooke. How are you doing, Sam? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm really interested to, uh, to talk about what we're going to talk about today, uh, which is, well, what, what are we talking about? I'll let you answer well, that. Well, it's, a, it's, it's a Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered, so it's the, yeah, the, the remastered uh, version of the 2009, I think, uh, THQ game. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird pick. It definitely won't be in most people's lists, but I think it's something that deserves to be uh, kind of talked about and a bit, be a bit more popular right now. Okay. Well, so, first of all, I just want to make sure that it's clear. Um, the reason that this is on your list is because of the fantastic subtitle, Remarsstered. That right? is definitely part of it. Definitely okay, part of good. It. <laughs> good. When... Uh, when the the new THQ first released their wonky like you know remastered definitive edition uh, title with Darksiders two definitive edition, I was like, oh god, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and then they came out with Darksiders, and it was War Master, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Red Faction Gorilla came out, and I was like, okay, yeah, no, this <laughs> this is a fantastic trend. And I'm so on board with it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping. We need more punny video game names, to be honest. We don't hear it enough. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. I feel like comedy in general is something that's missing from video games. Oh, definitely, yeah. We need, we need to get more of that. Uh, but anyway, for anybody that doesn't know, um, you know what Red Faction Gorilla is, kind of give us the, the elevator pitch of, of this game first. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very hard to describe because it's kind of... The best, uh, I can kind of describe it as a sort of space communist them up, which is... Uh, so, I don't know. It's basically you're this guy called Alec Mason. You're on Mars, and essentially you've been brought there to kind of start this 
kind of revolutionary movement and basically smash things with your sledgehammer. That's de- definitely the main draw of the game. It's definitely what people remember most about it was just the, the, the insane kind of destruction engine that they put in. It was, you know, there's pretty much every mission, both side and main missions, are all about, you know, smashing stuff up, destroying buildings, whether that's with, you know, black hole guns or your trusty sledgehammer, all that kind of stuff. So it was a... It's, a, it's it's not quite sort of a, a, a B game, but it was definitely one that wasn't taking itself too seriously. So, so what makes uh, what puts this on your your top five list for 2018? Just because it kind of, I think, uh, kind of brought back a lot of good memories. Definitely, because although definitely, I'd say 2018 has been a been a great year for games. We've had so much stuff. Not that I've managed to play too much of it, but it's it, it's just something about the kind of throwback to game to, to, to again I saw that, that I kind of refer to them as B list games, games that you know, they're not triple A, they're not indie, they're just kind of the ones that publishers like THQ used to just say, I don't know, have a bit of money, just you know, give it a bit of a try and uh, you know, see what happens. And essentially this is this is kind of a nice reminder because I feel like those games don't really exist anymore. Sure. Mm. Yeah, no, I actually uh, I'm a big fan of um, don't nod. Studios, uh, they're the yeah. guys that make Life is Strange, and uh, I think Vampire uh, is definitely a game that kind of exists in that double A or B, t- whatever you want to call like the mid grade yeah. tier of video games. Um, mm. Remember Me, their one of their first games was definitely along those lines, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, and there's a, there's actually a French, um, they're like the French Bioware. It's called studio called Spiders. Um, oh, okay. And they made uh, they made a game a couple of years ago called Technomancer, uh, which yeah, is yeah like, I remember hearing about that. <laughs> it's that is definitely like in that realm where like it's kind mm. of a hard game to recommend to most people, uh, but at the same yeah. time I'm just really happy it exists and that their studios still kind of in that that range uh, that you know don't necessarily have the the money or the the polish of the big AAA. Uh, but at the same time, they're not under the same like time restraints as as those games, and they're trying to do like weird and and wonky stuff that most often probably doesn't land the way that it should. But they're still they're still trying. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it, that, that's it's kind of again, I mean, you can t- kind of tell this with uh, Red Faction Gorilla, but it's kind of they're games that have heart as much as they have quite a big budget they've got heart there's always some kind of they're not perfect they're definitely definitely not polished there's so many glitches in even the remastered version of uh, red faction but um yeah they're, they're just games where people you know had an idea and they stuck to it and you know it's the it, it's it's nice that they tried to do something new and they tried to do something creative mm-hmm. did you play any of the other red faction games I did. I um. I I haven't played any of the any of the ones that came before, but I remember um. I remember getting a. Uh, I I think I just played Gorilla, and I saw that uh, Red Faction Armageddon was out. Which, if you've played it, I'm not sure if you have. Yeah, yeah. I played um. Yeah, yeah I played all of them. I never actually finished the first one. Yeah, but the yeah Red Faction Armageddon came out, and that I'm gonna be honest, that wasn't very good. It kind of had all the. It it took it took everything that was great about Red Faction Gorilla, which is kind of you know the the laughing, joking tone, you know the the freedom of the the open world that you're in. It kind of just took all of that out. It was a much more darker game. It was a linear game, which is definitely 
you know, it, it wasn't what made Red Faction Guerrilla great. And so that's why it's, it's, it's weird, because I don't particularly like, you know, Red Faction as a series, I don't think it's really that, like, significant. I'm, I've never been that too much of a fan of it. But it's just one of, th- this game in particular is just, because of its, uh, I guess, willingness to be creative and willingness to be different and to just at least just focus on what it does best, and that's, you know, destroying buildings, all that kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. that, that that's one of the reasons why it sticks out so well compared to other parts of the series. And I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. There's uh, there's something to the systemic kind of gameplay of of Guerrilla that none of the other games have because the first two are, are linear first person shooters, and the third one mm-hmm. is a linear third person shooter. Um, yeah. But uh, the only th- the thing that I really liked from the third one was your kind of like abilities that you get with your like nanites or I don't remember what the conceit of the game was, but somehow yeah. you had superpowers, um, and that was pretty cool. And you could also repair, um, like the stuff that you destroyed, uh, basically because you could easily destroy like parts of the game that you had to either use or like a bridge or something to get from one place to another. Uh, so you had to be able to repair stuff, but just being able to then break stuff again was kind of neat. The rest of the game is not, not as good as, uh, as gorilla. But I remember like there was, there was one time I, it's, this was several years ago now, uh, but I was playing red faction gorilla and I was trying to clear out this base. I feel like it was like towards the end of the game. You have your uh, like booster jetpack thing, um, and I had planted mines on this road to take out a caravan. And like I'm trying to get off the the bridge, and like I'm running across the bridge because the the caravan's gotten there like sooner than I thought it would. And yeah. It gets onto the bridge, so I need to go ahead and blow up all of the uh, like C4 that I planted. And so I'm booking it across and um, jump off, and everything starts to explode. I was able to take out the caravan and literally just barely made it to the side, like the the ledge uh, where the bridge is now gone, and made you know feet back onto like solid ground. And it totally like it would have been a cutscene in any other game. But in Red Faction Guerrilla, it was just kind of this random little thing that just happened because that's the yeah. way the game works. And I don't know if anybody else got to experience a thing exactly like that. And I never experienced that again. But, like, it was just a really cool... Like, when people talk about emergent gameplay and, like, the stories that you can tell from it, I always think about that. And it's like, okay, if somebody can actually figure out how to do... Like these unscripted moments that feel scripted, like like I experienced in that thirty seconds of Red Faction Guerrilla, that I will totally be yeah. behind emergent gameplay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing because, in my opinion, as as much as the yeah the missions in Red Faction are fun, especially like the main kind of story stuff, it's pretty you know it's pretty simplistic. It's not exactly the best part of the game. I think there's yeah. especially what what made it so special was just kind of the stuff that you could set up outside of the game you know you just have you know especially when you kind of raise the morale of an area and, and that means that you know more guy more of your red faction come on side and they start shooting at the edf more with the bad guys um it's kind of it, it there's a lot more kind of organic moments that happen it's a it's a it's a world that feels that 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 feels like it's like it's living and um 
yeah, there's just as much as there are some great scripted moments. Like, I'm not sure. There's there's the the mission that they used in the demo where they first sort of introduced the uh, the walker, and you're just basically running around smashing everything mm-hmm. up, and you just get on the get on the back of a truck and you start shooting everyone with a turret. That's that, that's definitely memorable. That's some of the you know some of the most fun that I've had. But it's again, it's just kind of the way that things you know, fit together and happen outside. Like, just blow up a building, sooner or later you're going to have, going to be swarmed of enemies and you're going to be swarmed of friendlies and there's all this kind of, all these conflicts that happen just naturally. And I think that's that's something that quite a, quite a lot of games, it would be great that, uh, for quite a lot of games to replicate that because it's something that you know, we don't really see enough, especially with linear games kind of becoming more popular. Sure. Sure. Any other uh, thoughts about kind of why uh, Red Faction Gorilla still holds up in 2018? I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of weird because, especially in terms of its impact, I don't think it had that much of an impact. It's still kind of, I think one of the main reasons why it is still relevant, at least, and why people should still play it, is just because of how different it really is. There's 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 not many games like it. There's not there's not many games that kind of combined. Uh, a, great open world with just the ability to just destroy it bring it all down and then as soon as it's built up again go ahead and just keep keep destroying it again i know there's you know there's games like just cause that kind of emphasize that a lot but it's just the the way that it feels i guess natural and the 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 natural world that you're in is something that it's it it feels like an oddity uh in terms of you know the, the games that come out now i know i don't think Especially with THQ not really existing anymore, though it is it was bought up by Nordic Games and now it's THQ Nordic. I don't really think that there's that many. It's not really a game that would be made uh, today, at least I don't think. And that's why it's special. Yeah, yeah. I, I can agree with that. It's it's interesting. For a while there, we had a number of games. You know, the, the first Just Cause, and uh, especially, I mean. I don't know. People know what Just Cause is nowadays, yeah. But I feel like much more the the selling point of like Just Cause One and Just Cause Two was like, hey, here's this world that you can just destroy, mm. have at it. Um, and we had Mercenaries, yeah, uh, one and two, which yeah. you know, Pandemic is gone now. Um, and then we, we, you know, we had a number of uh, Red Faction games, which really this is the Grill is the only one that kind of did this. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like more people should do, you know, more destructive stuff like system, not, not necessarily just systemic. I keep using that word, but yeah. just, um, you know, being able to play with the environment. I mean, there was that game, uh, what was it called? Uh, fractured or whatever where you oh, can like yeah. raise and lower the ground it was a LucasArts game yeah. <laughs> uh, that was you played as like generic generic badass dude yeah. <laughs> uh, and like that was not a good game but like it was at least a cool idea yeah. and we just we don't have you know weird stuff with the uh, with terrain deformation and building destruction and yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, if you think but about, I don't know why. Yeah, like if you think about the the gimmicks, there there, there there aren't too many games of gimmicks anymore, which is kind of, you know, Red Red Faction's better than just a gimmick game, but it obviously the the whole selling point was yeah, it's destruction because you know if you think about it, you had as well as Fracture, you had 
I mean, there was Inversion, which was like that first-person shooter where you could keep inverting gravity. There was... Um, yeah. Uh, was it that Bi- wasn't that long ago. That, yeah. I think that was just a few years ago, but that was yeah. also like a bad game. That was... Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the difference, I guess, because Red Faction Gorilla definitely isn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, oh, God, that was, yeah. that was already from 2012. Holy crap. That, yeah. I honestly <laughs> thought that was like 2015 or 16. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think it was wow. about the kind of... The, the Xbox 360 and PS3 era, where it was just kind yeah. of uh, people were willing to try out gimmicks a lot more. You know, you know they, they had like yeah. a was it binary domain, the one where you could yeah. voice control everybody, and that didn't work out too well. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of for, yeah, it's just kind of from that era of uh, of um, yeah games that were willing to try something new, even if it meant the game was terrible. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. All right, well. Uh, one of the other things that we like to do on the Dark, or uh, not the Dark cast, on Dark Station is in our top five list, we shine a spotlight on one of our favorite games that was released before 2018, uh, but we only just got to play. So what is that game for you? Uh, that game for me is uh, Yakuza 0. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... Now, when, when did I... I am completely lost on the timeline oh, yeah. of Yakuza... <laughs> When did Yakuza 0 actually come out? I think it came out... I'm pretty sure Yakuza 0 came out last year. Okay. I think. Well, it could have been the year before. But, um, but yeah. But it's not, it's not one of the PS3 titles that's been, like, recently remastered or anything. No, no, it's... it's uh, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it came, out in, it came out in Japan about two or three years before it came out in, uh, in, in the West. And, okay. um, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of... It's the... Uh, prequel to all the Yakuza games and I've never played Yakuza before um, but I basically I, I just heard Zero weird... sounds like a good good place to start yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely yeah I mean um, yeah it's kind of it, it, I, I was I, I always originally thought the Yakuza was just kind of wrongly I thought that it was uh, oh it's just Japanese you know low budget GTA it's not very good it's just a classic open world game I didn't realize the amount of kind of character it had in it because mm. one one thing that Yakuza Zero does really well is that his main story is amazing. It's it's you know it's, it's it's a serious main story. It's it's got some you know really great moments in it. There's a there's characters that you actually care about that are interesting. There's you know there's moments that actually that that shocked me at least. But at the same time, you have got all this side stuff where it's just completely insane. Like only a, it feels like only a a Japanese company could make. You have stuff like uh, there's one side mission where I think Mike, you meet Michael Jackson and Steven Spielberg. They're not actually called that. They're based really, really <laughs> obvious. There's like really obvious um, parodies of them, and they just I can't remember. You have to. I think they're like filming a music video for for Michael Jackson. And he's you have to beat up zombies that are trying to chase him. And that kind of stuff. It's, it's just insane. It's absolutely insane. And that's the, that's why I love it because it kind of I don't know how but it just mixes all the serious story stuff with these you know wacky insane side missions and it doesn't feel jarring at all it just feels like charming really. Gotcha, nice. Yeah. So do you plan on playing more uh, Yakuza games? Or yeah, Yakuza well, or however you pronounce it. Yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's, uh, I'm playing um, Yakuza. Kiwami right now because that was free on PS Plus. So I think that's oh, the re- nice. the remastered version of the first game. Okay. And then after that, I'll probably plan on getting a uh, Kiwami two, so the remastered second game as well. Because 
it's definitely it's definitely hooked me in. I need to catch up on what I've missed. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts about either Red Faction or um, uh, Yakuza Zero? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think the main thing is it just kind of proves that, especially with with, with those two games being some of the favorites I've played this year, it's 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 mainly just that I feel like the best games, or at least the the games that are most enjoyable, are the ones that you know have tons of character, the ones that aren't afraid to go a bit off the deep end. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Well, Sam, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about Red Faction, Gorilla, and Yakuza 0. And I look forward to talking to you more in 2019. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. everybody welcome to the dark cast i'm jonathan miley joining me is brandon brodsky how are you doing brandon i'm doing good how are you doing great i uh i say this pretty much at the beginning of each of these uh little sections for the podcast but i'm just having a blast getting to talk to a whole bunch of different people from the website um it's been a lot of fun uh recording these kind of small, you know, sections to talk about some of the best games of the year. Uh, and also just getting to talk to people that I, you know, haven't talked to in, in a while and getting to meet some new faces, and it's just, it's been great. Actually, new voices, not really new faces, but new voices. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's what we're doing. We're talking about some of our favorite games from 2018. What are we talking about today? Uh, looks like today we're talking about Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, one of the higher picks in my list. Why not? Why not Dragon Quest? You know, one through ten. I mean, those are those have lower numbers, so clearly they're superior, right? That's how number well. works. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am, just throwing the podcast off the rails. I'm, I'm like two minutes in. Um, but uh, so I, as a uh, person that does not play very many JRPGs. Um, Probably say any JRPGs. I don't know anything about Dragon Quest. Uh, what is this game besides questing for dragons? Well, Dragon Quest is um, kind of more traditional style of JRPG. It's it doesn't really throw too many curveballs um, as far as the genre is concerned. But as you said, uh, you haven't played very many of those. So I guess um, what really sets it apart from other games. Um, <clears throat> would just be kind of the turn-based battle system and the beautiful art and music and characters that kind of all come together and create this quest of epic proportions um, for dragons, basically. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are dragons in this game, correct? I mean, of course there are. There, there's always at least one dragon. Okay. <laughs> Uh, are they people that you're, are they, are, do you fight the dragons? Are the dragons on your side? What's, what's up with the dragons? Usually, usually you, you fight the dragons. Okay. So the dragons aren't good guys in this case. I mean, they can be. Okay. All right. There's no rules saying they can't be. 
Have there been very many good dragons, or are dragons mostly the villains in, in the Dragon Quest series? I mean, I'd say that's up, for, up to you to find out. I don't want to say any anything more than that. Interesting. Keep things mysterious, you know. Yeah, building intrigue. I like it. I like it. Now, uh, this being the 11th entry in the main Dragon Quest uh, kind of saga, there's also tons of spinoffs. What kind of what does uh, Dragon Quest 11 do that's either new or different or extra special or whatever the case may be that kind of puts it on your your top five list for the year? Interestingly. It's not necessarily what it does different. It's more so how it perfects everything it has done before. Um, it's not necessarily new and different. Though very many uh, Dragon Quest games have been uh, traditional in, in style. Uh, just kind of being a JRPG with interesting characters and world design and, of course, art done by Akira Toriyama. Um it's kind of always followed the same formula for the most part. Um, Dragon Quest XI is the, I want to say, the second entry in the game that's been done in 3D. All of the other entries uh, prior to this one, other than Dragon Quest VIII, have all been two-dimensional, uh, not not counting the Dragon Quest X, which we never got in the U.S. Um, okay. but, but I think what really sets it apart from all the other games that I've played this year is just how much love and effort was put into making this the perfect Dragon Quest game for fans of the series and just a generally appealing uh, visual and emotional experience for the player. Nice. The the art style obviously looks beautiful. You said that this is only the second Dragon Quest that has been 3D in the U.S. Is that right? Yeah. So 8 and this one? Yes. Um, and then 10 is also 3D, but that never made it. Over yeah, there. it's it's one of those um, MMO-type deals. Okay, gotcha. So. Gotcha. Does anything feel like it kind of... I know you said it, it's not doing anything widely different. It's just kind of, kind of polishing the stone that it has. Um, but is there anything that feels different or special uh, playing Dragon Quest in 3D versus playing uh, the 2D version of it? Yeah, I noticed there's a lot of attention to detail, actually. There's quite a lot of things that just... It's really fun to just explore all of the different areas and see if you can find any anomalies laying around the scenery. Um, and all of the characters seem to have... Uh, all of these like the hidden dialogue pieces throughout the game. It's just fun to kind of explore and walk around, and it, it just feels very lively in, in contrast. Um, as as far as uh, dialogue and conversations go, is the game uh, does it have English voice acting or is it uh, Japan Japanese only? Um, it actually does have English voice acting, which is um, pretty nice. Um, at first, I was very skeptical of it, but uh, I've grown to really like it. Yeah. There's a lot of um, English accents, as as there should be. Um, <laughs> Any anything else that's just kind of you know stand out with the game? You mentioned that the uh, the soundtrack is is really good, uh, but any? Yeah. I think uh, one thing I really liked about the game was that um, it had a really interesting kind of like upgrade and crafting system, whereas mm -hmm. you could like find items through different uh, monsters that you kill or just in the environment uh, that you have to 
find at certain points in the time, certain times in the game, uh, stuff like that, and you can kind of bring it all back to a camp and play a little mini game and craft your items. And depending on how well you do, it you know puts it on a tier where it's better or you know just normal. I thought that was a pretty interesting thing to add, just because it was it it just kept kept me wanting to make everything. Maybe it's that kind of collector's mentality. Sure. Side quests are also very uh, interesting, which is not always something you get in many games. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found a lot of the characters to have fairly interesting um, situations going on. where you, Humorous situations, too. I can't neglect to uh, mention the humor found in the Dragon Quest games. Okay. Is that a, a thing by and large in uh, the Dragon Quest world? It it very much is. Um, it manages to be humorous and serious all in the same. It's it's not a mix that's very easy to explain, but it's definitely there, and I enjoy it every step of the way. I I think that's actually something that just a lot of RPGs, if if it's good, it needs to find the right balance of, you know, having very serious moments, but then having some, you know, almost like absurdist moments. Um, and those are generally found in the, the side quests and stuff and creating a nice balance of, you know, having, having these serious moments and having these odd, quirky, funny moments and making them mesh so that they feel like they're part of the same world and you're not getting whiplash between the various tones of the game. Um, but I think any any good RPG that I've ever played has at least, you know, played with that line and worked uh, both in the realm of serious and uh, funny or bizarre, or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Any other uh, thoughts about Dragon Quest XI before we talk about your favorite game that you played in 2018 but was released previously? I just think that um, Dragon Quest in general, um, you know, not not this game in particular, it's a series that's been very neglected over the years in the uh, over here in the West, and it's kind of nice just to see that. You know they're still putting all of this effort into the localization with the voice acting and the humorous dialogue. Still, you know, connecting it. I think it's something important to mention, uh, just because we, you know, we we missed out on the last entry, and it took a very long time to get some of the other entries in the series. So it's just something that's important to me. It's been something I've been waiting for for a long time, and I hope to keep coming. Well, with that, uh, like I said, one of the things that we like to talk about is uh, you know some of our favorite games that we played released previously, um, but we only just got a chance to play in 2018. So what's what's your pick for that? For that, I picked Dead by Daylight, which I believe came out maybe two years ago or so. So it's not terribly old, but it it's not new. <laughs> <laughs> and so what what is that for people that don't know? Uh, Dead by Daylight is a four versus one survival horror uh, game. It's completely multiplayer, um, where one player plays as a killer and the others have to survive by activating generators and escaping through a gate. What makes it earn that spot for you? I just really enjoy 
kind of I don't know. I don't know what it is about multiplayer games and their addictivity, so to speak, but <laughs> it it's fun to kind of like mess around with all of the different perk styles that you can choose, similar to like I don't know Call of Duty or that kind of stuff, where you have different perks and it modifies the way you play the game. Um, with Dead by Daylight, it just feels very unique. It feels very different. Um, the way in which you do things, um, I guess to put it in perspective. The killer actually plays in first person where the survivors play in third person. So they actually is a bit of a disadvantage to the killers since they can't kind of see the whole surroundings where the survivors can. That's, uh, that actually that reminds me a lot of the old Splinter Cell uh, multiplayer, the Spies versus Mercenaries, yeah. where uh, when you're playing Mercenaries, you're basically playing a game of Rainbow Six. And you're, you know, first person, you have a gun, uh, you're not very quick, um, but, you know, basically you have more life, you're, you're more of a tank. Um, and as a spy, you have third person, you can't actually kill the mercenaries unless you get up close and uh, you could break their neck. Um, but with your gun, you can't do any type of, you know, uh, long range killing or anything as a spy. But you can see your surrounding, you can mantle up onto objects, you can, you know, get into the shadows and, and disappear and, and stuff like that. So it, it sounds like it's kind of similar to that, but not, um, you know, more horror-themed, obviously. Yeah. So interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I should explain this because I completely forgot about this. Depending on your killer, it takes two hits to knock down the survivors. If you knock down a survivor, you have to put them on the hook, and then they're... Other survivors will have to come and rescue him. Um, if not, then that's... Things aren't looking so good for him. <laughs> There's actually a, a whole bunch of different killers. I think they just released their 14th or 15th killer. So there's a bunch of different uh, different guys to choose from. And uh, they all do something different. Um, for example, uh, the the main killer of the game, who's kind of the mascot of the game, his name's the Trapper. He puts down traps <laughs> that you can step in. Mm-hmm. And then there's another uh, killer called the Huntress. She can throw axes at you from a distance. So mixing that with all of the different perks you can choose, which can modify things like when you can you know, be killed... And there are different perks which um, basically make it so you can see other survivors within a certain distance uh, when you hook someone or uh, when they complete a generator or something along those lines. So it's just interesting to see what you can do with all of these different perk combinations and different uh, killer attributes, so to speak. Mm Mm-hmm. Do the survivors also have perks, or is it just the killer that has uh, perks? The survivors also do have perks. Um, okay. There are plenty of different perks, perks that make you run faster for a short period of time, perks that uh, allow you to see the other survivors, like their aura, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> stuff that modifies the um, RNG, even. What is your, uh, what's your favorite uh, murderer to play as. <laughs> um, there is a killer called the Doctor. He is 
probably my favorite if the Huntress isn't. Uh, they're both pretty up there. Um, he has like a big spiky medical thing, which he hit thing, hits uh, the survivors with. And he causes the survivors to scream out loud when they're within his uh, heartbeat radius, which is just kind of like a radius around the killer, which notifies the survivors that he's close to. Um, and when they scream, he can kind of see where they are and track them down. And then he can also shock them to uh, create more madness and terror within their minds effectively making them see things that aren't really there. He's a lot of fun. Well, any, any final thoughts about the game uh, before we move on to our next section? Um, well, it's it's just a very enjoyable game. Um, if you have friends, it's even more enjoyable, because you can kill them too. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a game that's fun. Not much more to say about that. Uh, that 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 should be part of our rating scale. Five out of five. <laughs> it's just a game. It's fun. That's all you need. All you need. Well, thank you, Brandon, for sitting down and talking with me about Dragon Quest Eleven and uh, Dead by Daylight. Uh, look forward to talking to you more in 2019. Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome back to the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is Alex Mateo. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing well. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, I, I've already said that I say this at the beginning of each section. Um, We're back! Yeah, well, th- there's that, but uh, <laughs> with the, the Game of the Year stuff, uh, I've just been able to talk to a whole bunch of different people on the website, and it's been a blast. Uh, so between being, like, still being back and getting to talk to a whole bunch of different people, it's just been so much fun. But there's so much to edit. I've spent most of this day just getting episode one ready to go. Uh, and that will be out when people are listening to this because this will be part of episode two or three. I don't know. I haven't, I don't plan that far ahead. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of work, but I'm, I'm having a great time doing this. So, um, so yeah, games of the year. Woohoo! Uh, so we've got a very uh, special game. That uh, just kind of flew. I don't want it didn't fly under the radar, and under the sense that nobody knew about it because everybody knew about it. But it like got in like just in the nick of time. Otherwise, we'd be yeah, having to talk December. about it next year. Uh, but we're we're talking. What are we talking about? Super oh, Smash Brothers Ultimate. Okay, so I, I feel like we can sum up this um, conversation and with just one question and an answer. Is this the ultimate Super Smash Brothers? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's All that's right. why that's... it's on on your list. We're done. Yeah, it, it's it's Thanks. actually at the top of my list. Yeah. In terms of numbers or physically on the page, because that would mean it's number five, or is it number one? 
Uh, I I look at lists upside down, so okay. uh, it's number one and also on the top of my upside down list. Fantastic. Yes, that's good. So so no surprises, you know the the number one slot's just right there. You don't have to scroll down. There's no that. There's no, you know, yep. suspense. It's just boom. Number just, one. Yep. One. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But. <laughs> So uh, so, what makes well? I guess for anybody that has lived under a rock for twenty years, uh, what is Super Smash Brothers? Real quick, uh, Super Smash Brothers is a game that crossovers all the Nintendo franchises like Mario, Zelda, Pokemon, uh, Metroid, Kirby, etc., and has them all fight it out with each other in what I can only describe as a party fighting hybrid. Okay, so. You know, you're all on a stage, and in most fighting games, you know, the point is to get their stamina or their HP down to zero. In Super Smash Brothers, all of the games since the N64 version, the point is to smash them off of the stage or, uh, you know, make them fall down through, you know, through attacks, items, whatever. Uh, You know, and everyone has their uh, signature moves, like... Mario's jumps and fireballs and Yoshi can like throw eggs and you know eat people and turn them into eggs stuff like that which is why Yoshi is the best character uh nobody else can poop people out into eggs so yeah he wins for me yeah Yoshi's uh Yoshi's the pooper (laughs) (laughs) so so what is uh new and different in Smash Bros Ultimate so, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, um, it brings everyone that's ever been in a Super Smash Brothers game back. So, uh, over the years, you know, the especially with the Wii and Wii U version, characters have been taken out. Uh, you know, for one reason or another, they just weren't um, renewed for the next roster. You know, for example, Metal Gear Solid's Snake. Uh, was in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, but he did not return for the Wii U version. Uh, That that was actually going to be my first question, was did Solid Snake return? Yes, he is back. Everyone is back. Uh, Even characters that people didn't want back, like Pichu from Pokemon, are back. (laughs) Because everyone is literally back. Like, that's that's actually how they announced... Well, not announced, but how they revealed it at E3. Uh, they were just showing all the characters, you know, revealing that Snake is back. And, you know, woo! could everyone, you know, could other characters be back? And literally the word says, ev- the words flash on the screen, everyone is here. So every single character that has ever been in Smash is uh, is in Ultimate. And that's actually something that I wanted since, uh, you know, since Super Smash Bros. Brawl took characters out. So I was thinking, oh, you know... Uh, it would be nice if the Switch version, you know, uh, had a lot of the characters return because there was that, you know, sense that maybe the Switch version will just be a port or a remake or just, you know, just very small update. Um, but no, what, what they did was they, they really just did bring everyone back like I wanted. They brought all of, uh, not all of the stages though, but a lot of the stages from the past Smash games have returned. And um, uh, what else is uh, really new from besides characters and stages is that there is a full adventure mode that uh, that I got really into. It's uh, uh, s- adventure is not new to the Smash Brothers franchise, but it's not always done well. 
Uh, I think the only other, you know, solo single player mode that I've, you know, liked was from Brawl for the Wii. It's the subspace emissary adventure mode where you have all of the characters kind of doing weird platforming. It kind of plays out like a Kirby Metroidvania, uh, but with Smash Brothers mechanics. Uh, okay. And I liked it for the, you know, the, there were a lot of crossover cutscenes, like fan service for that. And it was interesting, but, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily the best put together, but I enjoyed it just as, you know, fan service. Uh, World of Light is uh, closer to event mode, uh, which if you've played uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee or the Wii U version, uh, event mode is where you have conditions-based battles. Uh, like, every battle has some kind of rule. Like, for example, you're fighting uh, Dr. Mario, and he's giant, and there's wind on the stage, blah, 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 you know what I mean? Uh, there, There is some special rule that makes it a unique fight, and it's usually themed... Uh, you know, for a scenario like, oh, Dr. Mario's giant because, I don't know, he ate too many pills and it's really windy in his, you know, <laughs> in his hospital, whatever. Um, so what World of Light does is uh, it takes event mode and, like, multiplies it by a thousand. Uh, instead of 50 events, there's over 600 uh, something events. Um, and each of them are themed around a character, okay? So, a Nintendo or third-party character, because there are a lot of third parties now, like, you know, we mentioned Snake, Sonic the Hedgehog from Sega's in there, uh, Capcom's Ryu from Street Fighter, and Castlevania's Simon Belmont. So there are a lot of third parties in there. Um, they're all, uh, all of the spirits, which are the characters in event mode, are represented by a special themed fight. Um, And it's really clever how they do it. It's almost like the characters that are playable in Smash Brothers are cosplaying and pretending to be the, you know, the other Nintendo characters. (laughs) So if I could just give some examples, like, uh, here's an easy one. Like, we have Rabid Mario from Mario Plus Rabbids. Uh, Rabid Mario is represented by a Mario that is wearing, like, uh, American clothes, uh, like, just the American flag, uh, even though, you know, Rabbids is a, it's a European franchise. Anyway, uh, Mario is just wearing, uh, an American flag and has a bunny hood and is also, like, has a warp gun or, like, a, has a ray gun. So he's just sort of, like blasting people as if he were rabid mario uh then we have you know dr wily from Mega Man. he's just dr uh dr mario surrounded by rob the robots you know uh, pretending to be <laughs> robot masters uh, everything is like a reference and they don't always they don't really spell it out for you some of them are obvious but there are a lot of obscure characters and series represented like they didn't stop at mario Zelda, Mega Man, etc. They they really went to deep cuts like, you know, Botan Kaitos, Cold Sept, uh, sh- uh, the mysterious Murasame Castle, uh, and those are just the least, the less obscure, you know, 
on the scale of obscurity. Like, there are stuff that I really know nothing about. Like, I can't even name them because I'm not sure what I was looking at when I fought them. But I appreciate the references, and it's it's a mode that should be a, um, repetitive. And, you know, it kind of is, but... I'm just I was just really hooked as a big Nintendo fan to just see all of these series represented in this fun clever way. Like it's it's funny. Like uh if you've played Earthbound, uh Ness's father, you know the main character Ness, his father is like not present in the game and he only talks to him via the phone. So his spirit in the game is represented by just a phone, <laughs> like a picture of a telephone and in game once you once you fight the spirit of Ness's dad what you're really fighting is Ness and an invisible solid snake who represents his invisible absent father so it's it's everything's just tongue in cheek like uh, you know Sakurai the the creator of Smash Brothers just loves putting peppering all of these Nintendo references in jokes and stuff that you know Nintendo fans would care for and what i like about Smash Brothers most you know, even more than just the the fighting, the gameplay, which which I think is really fun because it's more of a party version of fighting. Uh, what I like about it most is that it's a celebration of Nintendo. It's a crossover of everything I like about this company. Like, it's Mario fighting Pikachu. It's Donkey Kong fighting Samus. Uh, it's crazy, and I love that everything... It really feels like everything is in there for this one. It sounds like it. I'm, I that it, it's kind of like information overload right now. That is, there's so much stuff. I, I don't even know what to ask you about with this game. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that they they added a few characters um, that were that were some of the biggest uh, fan asked fan requested characters. Like King K. Rule from Donkey Kong Country, Ridley, uh, you know, the nemesis from Metroid, and uh, the new Inklings from Splatoon. Oh, as well as Simon Belmont from Castlevania. There, there, are, uh, there aren't as many new characters in this one, but I feel like they are some of the ones that fans truly, you know, pined for uh, as playable fighters. So that's like another plus. Like there's just, just a lot of pluses. Like there's so much to do in the game. Uh, I haven't even mentioned classic mode, which is also kind of like what, you know, World of Light means to me. It's every character, uh, you know how in most fighting games, every character kind of has like a quote unquote story where they fight six characters and then there's like an end cutscene, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mm -hmm. For the first time in in a Smash Brothers game, every character has a themed route uh, that they follow. So they always fight the same characters, and it has something to do with their, you know, their theme, their character. So, for example, in Ryu's uh, classic mode route, he's from Street Fighter, right? Every character he faces is a an impersonation, if you will, of a Street Fighter character. So he'll fight, um, instead of Blanca, you know, the green electric mm-hmm. dude from Street Fighter, he'll fight a green Donkey Kong in the jungle, uh, like it's full of like little jokes like that, just like in World of Light. But um, what makes that fight cool as well is that it actually becomes a stamina fight, as if you were playing Street Fighter. So it literally is like you're playing as Ryu going through Street Fighter. 
for Mega Man, it's like you're fighting robot masters. Like, Iceman is represented by the Ice Climbers. It's all just, like, clever tongue-in-cheek fun jokes uh, for every character. And, you know, I, I love this stuff. I love, <laughs> I love all the references and uh, nods to video game history. And the yeah. gameplay's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you covered everything that I could possibly ask about this game. That that sounds that sounds really cool. Um, and I'm glad that they kind of brought all that stuff back into it. And it, it is kind of crazy how much uh, they've put into this game because I feel like with literally any other developer, and I don't I don't know if this is. Um, Nintendo's mentality or if part of it is just that their online infrastructure is not you know kind of there yet but literally any other developer they would have like a more reasonable number of characters and then all of these add-ons would be part of like some sort of season pass instead of just all being in the game up front which is is awesome and crazy and hopefully people pay attention to that well uh so so one of the things that we like to do with uh dark station and our top fives is shine a spotlight on our favorite game that we played in 2018 but was released sometime in the past so what what was that game for you uh for me uh and this was actually hard for me because most of the games i played were either from 2018 or I didn't consider good enough to be put on the <laughs> to be put on the top of this list, so I ended up putting in uh, Mario plus Rabbids uh, Kingdom Battle, uh, which, funny enough, is another Nintendo crossover only between Mario and uh, Ubisoft's Rabbids. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really liked about it was that, well, one, uh, I, I don't actually like the Rabbids, so for me to like this game, I <laughs> uh, should say a lot. <laughs> Uh, but it's a it's a strategy game. It's a Mario strategy game where Mario, uh, it, it's like the game crossover that shouldn't exist, but it does. Like Mario is teaming up with the Rabbids, you know, who are these cartoonish minions type, you know, characters, uh, and he's participating in some XCOM like strategy uh, gameplay while using guns. Like we're talking. Not like, you know, you know, first-person shooter guns, but like blasters, right? But just the fact that Mario is like using guns in a strategy game with non-Japanese rabbits is crazy to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it ended up being really fun. And uh, I just like how, how funny it is. It, it's, 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 it's kind of like a strategy light. Um, but there's a lot... Uh, there's a lot going on when you jump on other characters and you have to equip different guns for the situation. Um, I think what also made it uh, good for me was that they also had the Donkey Kong Adventure DLC this year, uh, which was also really fun. It it, it brought uh, Donkey Kong, and you know I, I like the character a lot, and it allowed him to have his own adventure. Like it didn't just feel like you know just a little bit of extra content. It was a full uh it was a full campaign uh that felt you know maybe just as long as one or two chapters of the original uh and the original is also already like fairly meaty so 
uh, I appreciate that there was there's a lot of effort going into the DLC for this game as well. Um, yeah, it's fun, and I I don't know I, I seem to like gaming crossovers. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Any uh, final thoughts about either Super Smash Brothers Ultimate or uh, what what is the name of the Mario? Rabbids, uh, Mario, Mario plus Rabbids, Kingdom Battle. Uh, of course, that's the name. Yeah, yeah. Of, <laughs> of course, that's the name. <laughs> Ultimate. <laughs> Ultimate. Ultimate. Generations, Origins, yeah. Legends. Generations, Ultimate, Origins, Final Chapter, Prologue. <laughs> well, that's just Kingdom Hearts naming conventions now. <laughs> I was gonna say that's now. That's a Kingdom Hearts game. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. <laughs> So, any, any final thoughts about, I've already forgotten the name of the Mario and Rabbids game or uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate? Uh, I, I will, well, I'll say that I thought that with Smash, you know, uh, I, I was uh, a little worried coming into Nintendo's second year because, uh, or the Switch's second year, because they had such a, they had such a great year with Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Um, and they had some good uh good fun games this year a lot of uh ports or definitive editions if you will um and an interesting experience or in- interesting experiments like nintendo labo uh but i really think with super smash brothers ultimate you know they finally have their big hit of the year and it you know it couldn't have come at a better time i'm happy to get to enjoy it now yeah awesome well, thanks, Alex, for uh, chatting with me about uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and that uh, Ubisoft Mario game <laughs> that I'm not even going to try to name again. I think it was called uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> make it. <laughs> Someone make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm... You broke me. I, I can't. I don't even know how to finish this now. This podcast will just go on forever until he stops laughing. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. All right. Well, th- thanks again for sitting down and chatting with me. Thank you for having and, me. And yeah, I look forward to talking to you more in 2019. Yeah. Happy New Year. That does it for part two of our Games of the Year discussion. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more info about the games we discussed in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on darkstation.com, as well as our writer's top five list for Games of the Year. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. For Brandon Boyd, Sam Brook, Brandon Brodsky, and Alex Mateo, I'm Jonathan Miley. Thanks, and until next time, have a good one.